Today's episode is made possible by the generous support of Charon Law Offices. Located in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, Steve Charon and his team work with startup companies offering a full range of legal services. No matter what stage your startup is in, the team at Charon Law Offices can help you. From structuring to developing stock option plans to assisting with fundraising arrangements, Charon Law Offices can guide you through the process. For more information, email steve at charonlawoffices.com or call 412-880-5633. Visit their website at charonlawoffices.com for more information. Charon Law Offices, from startup to exit and everything in between. You can follow us on Twitter at BroadcastPGH and find us on Facebook at TheBroadcast underscore PGH and Instagram at TheBroadcast underscore PGH. Our website is broadcast-podcast.com where you can find all of our past episodes. If you want to support the show, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash broadcastpgh. If you'd like to sponsor, otherwise partner with the show, we'd love to talk to you. Drop us a line at broadcastpgh at gmail.com. Natalie, we're in the home stretch. For those of our viewers or listeners who don't know, we tend to record our, our shows all together because it's kind of impossible to oh find time God. in our schedules, Hello. but to find women like once a week. So just a little <laughs> peek behind the curtain. Yes. We record in a clump. <laughs> and a then clump we distribute. Right I, I like in that. In a gathering, in a collection. <laughs> Sounds so sexy, in a clump. So, the, so we're kind of in the mood. We kind of had the vibe going. So we're on our final one of this recording session. Yes. And I'm, I'm really excited about this. a little punchy, but yeah. <laughs> I think the guest is so interesting that we probably won't do much talking during this hour. Like, I feel like she's going to... So Kim's basically setting this up as, we'll just let the yeah. good doctor do just all the speak work. for yeah. the whole time, yes. and then we'll just take the credit. Yeah. I think that sounds good. That's pretty much what we do anyway. <laughs> like, you just summed up the podcast in a nutshell. So. Oh, no. We are, honestly, we are so yeah. thrilled to have Dr. Elizabeth Spar on with us today. Dr. Elizabeth Spar is the owner of Spectrum Family Integrative Medicine for Behavioral Health, and it's located in Verona, which is where the main office is, but then you also have a smaller space in Grove City, and we are so glad to have you here um, for so many reasons, for so many reasons. <laughs> the but pre-show conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I almost wanted to stop the conversation because well, I've got to get this recorded. Okay. It's so interesting. So I have to tell you, okay, I'm giving my, one of my besties a shout out. His name is Sam Tanner. Hi, Sam. Love you. And he has been working for uh, Dr. Spar at her office. And he was telling me about her a couple weeks ago. And this is the most amazing backstory. No. I mean, all of our guests are fantastic. This no, backstory this is, is the winner no, for this sure. This to me is just like woman. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this sums up. Mother. The, the, yeah. Yep. This sums it up. Okay. So she, and if you don't mind me telling this story, and sure, then of course you can sure. interject. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you talk eventually. <laughs> right. about we'll get to you. Yeah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Important. Uh, <laughs> no, this story really stuck with me and I couldn't get, I could not get you out of my head after hearing this. I was like, we have oh, to have wow. her on the show. No, it's, it's true. <laughs> and basically I'm going to get to the point. I promise she, um, you had a baby, you had a boy a few years back and your son had some major health issues and she didn't care for how she was being treated uh, by doctors who were being, you know, condescending towards her, towards, you know, the situation at hand. She wasn't getting the answers she needed. She started recognizing that there were other mothers, other families that were going through similar situations. So <laughs> this woman who... So was, did she write to someone that Oh, way? yeah, no. right. No, no, no. She didn't complain did to anyone. Did she read some books? No, no, no. What she did was... She decided, you know what? I'm just going to go to medical school. I'm just going to go to medical school. Like you do. As you do <laughs> when there's an issue. And I'm just going to do this myself mm -hmm. and take care of patients the way that I want to be taken care of. And oh, 
I just tell you, when I heard the story, I was like, well, Sam. Okay. You're getting some of those details what? wrong, buddy. Yeah, like, I was like, no I way. love you, but there's this no is a little ridiculous of yeah. a story. I mean, yeah. this, this, this is, is like a, a lifetime that's movie a story. Big like, thing seriously. To do, like, they're going to make a movie about her. Like, and, like, Sandra no, really. Bullock is going to be yes. her in the movie. Oh, Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She should be everybody in every movie. <laughs> And so I have to say, you know, once again, I wish we had the applause track. This uh, applause track would not even do this justice. No, we no. need like cheering, <laughs> yeah, and stadium yep. screams and things. Because mm-hmm. what you've done for your son is so mm-hmm. incredible, but not to only want to do it for him and to help him have a better quality of life, but then to, to understand that you would then be able to use your knowledge and your compassion and your empathy to support other families, which is just so <laughs> unbelievably amazing. And so we are so honored to have you here, truly. Um, and, and can you tell us in your own words, yeah. now in a much we... more eloquent way <laughs> than, than what I just did, but can you tell us a little bit about this journey and you know what you were feeling in those moments when you decided to make that decision after the birth of your son? Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So I had my son. I was 25 back then and very young and naive. Um, <laughs> That's when you make your best it. decisions Definitely. though, or you wouldn't do anything. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. And so I was, I was working on a PhD in history at the time, um, and then I had him, and uh, he was born, and he was perfect, of course. Mm-hmm. And then at five days old, um, pediatrician called me. It was a Sunday afternoon. I thought, oh, God, pediatricians don't call yeah. you with good news on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, mm. And they told me, you know, he tested positive for this really rare genetic disorder. Mm. Um, and then every time we would go to the doctor over the period of the next several months, they were diagnosing him with something new. Um, and I kept looking at him and thinking, he's perfect. This isn't possible. <laughs> What's yeah, wrong with yeah. these doctors? Um, but yeah, and so I was getting involved with these other parents, and we were all getting frustrated because we would do research on our own, um, and they just they didn't want to hear, and they would sort of pat us on the head and 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 tell us to stop googling. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, stop trying mom, to play doctor, basically. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and my mom had kind of been on me for the past like eight years at that point to be a doctor because I'd had some interest in it. And I kept telling her, no, 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 that's not, that's not for me. But um, at that point, I, I started reconsidering it. And I thought I wanted something good to come out of my son being sick. And I honestly wasn't sure if I could do it. I wasn't a science person. But I thought, if I can do it, if nothing else, I'll at least be like one doctor in the world that takes these moms seriously and, and doesn't make life harder on them already having a sick kid. So, Wow. Such an altruistic. So matter of fact, I'm like about to tear up. I know. I know. So when you made that decision, um, what did your, what did your family say? I mean, you were a new mom too at this point. How old was your son when you You had a lot of free time on your hands? Yeah. I mean, come on. (laughs) Um, yeah, my son was a couple months old and he was special needs. So he was a lot more work than most. Yeah. One or two month olds. (laughs) And they're a lot of work. Um, Um, yeah. I mean, I think that my family and my husband at the time, um, kind of thought I was just being like flaky mm-hmm. and they kind of thought it was a phase that would pass. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't really think it was going to happen. Um, so I had to really believe in myself. And then I was going and volunteering um, at the Hillman Cancer Center and everyone I would tell my plan to, they were like, okay, well, you're crazy. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by the time I started med school, I was actually a single mom. Really? I had two kids by the time I started med school. One was three, one was one and a half. And, um, to make it a little easier on yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I was then divorced. So mm-hmm. it was, wow. people really thought it was crazy, but. So did the drive come from knowing that you were going to be able to do something for your son? I mean, to, cause that's, a, those are a lot of things to 
to handle at once, having two children, right. not having a partner yeah. at home, you know, being in your twenties and then going back to medical school. I mean, that's, there's a lot of uncertainties there. Right. There's a lot of yeah. stressors there, <laughs> financial, emotional, everything yeah. did, did a lot of that weigh on your mind at night when you were studying for your exams, thinking what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. I mean, I think part of the appeal was you know, all these people are telling me I can't do this, <laughs> right? That was definitely yeah. part of the oh, <laughs> That's definitely uh, yeah. a big motivator. But I mean, and I think part of it was having something to think about other than my kid being sick too, uh, yeah. honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Letting something right. else yeah. occupy that space. And, and there's so much you can't control mm-hmm. about having a sick kid. And this yeah. was something I could control. This is something I could work out really, really hard and make happen. And have like, a result, I can't, yeah. Hmm. I can't fix my son. I still keep trying 14 years later. Can't fix my son. But like this was something I could I could control and I could do and and I could have something good come out of his being sick. So So when you started down this road of medical school, did you know when I'm done here, I'm going to open a clinic? I'm going to do that. Did you already have that trajectory in mind or was it sort of like you weren't really sure what was going to be the next step? I wasn't sure. I mean, I went back and forth with a lot of different ideas. So mm-hmm. no, I, was, I wasn't sure at that point of what exactly I was going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so now that you are on the other side of that, do you look back at your 25-year-old self and say, <laughs> what the hell? How did I do this? Because honestly, it's, you know, we're joking around about it, but that is a long undertaking, a lot of time, a lot of personal sacrifice. Yeah, you don't so, get through medical school in a year. No, no. <laughs> it takes it's like a, a decade time. of your life. Yeah. So do you kind of look back and say, how did I do this? I mean, every step along the way from when I first started to get into med school, then med school, then residency, and then starting at my practice, every step I finish and I look back and I'm like, how did I do that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So your son is on the autism spectrum. Yes. Um, And so you wanted to focus on topics in that. You wanted to focus in that area. That was going to be your area of, of of focus once you were done with medical school. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, from there's been some advances made since your son was born. Yes. That there's been some progress made. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how it looks different from when he was little, when he was first diagnosed and maybe some of the things that have evolved as, even as you were in medical school, you know, are things, is there better understanding? Are we still just scratching the surface for a lot of these kids? Or maybe, you know, are things much better or I feel like there's a long way to go, but you tell me what, what the progress has been. Right. Um, I mean, so there's a pretty big gap between sort of mainstream medicine's mm-hmm. understanding of autism and sort of what we call the biomedical world of mm-hmm. autism. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're starting to converge. Um, like the mainstream academic centers are starting to admit that autism is related to gut health and it's related yeah. to the immune system. Yeah. And so much is more related to gut health than we realize, right? right. It means so many Absolutely. things. Yeah. Um, but we're still, I mean, mainstream medicine still has a long way to go. I mean, pretty much the only thing they have to offer autism is like antipsychotic medicines at this point. Jeez. Wow. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. So put your child on Prozac and then hope for the best. Pretty much. Doesn't really yeah. seem like a great, <laughs> a great outcome for a, for right. a young child. Right. So what then did you, what were you hoping to, like you were going to graduate from medical school and I'm going to do this. Like what was your big pie in the sky and <laughs> how close them, are you? Right. Right. And how close are you to kind of the, right. the like big picture goal that you right. have yourself? So I mean, I think heading into it, you know, I really wanted to, um, to be a different kind of doctor and, mm-hmm. and to take care of special yeah. needs kids. Yeah. And then you get into medical school and it's just like survive, survive, survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all through like medical school and residency, it's like this 
whirlwind of just constant exams and getting you know quizzed by the the attendings you're rounding with and everything else and you kind of can't think about anything except like getting to the next yeah. exam and passing it and graduating yeah yeah <laughs> um and you get more and more into the medical world like everyone that you work with and everyone that you're friends with are doctors and so now mm-hmm. i went into this not really liking doctors yeah. and now all of a sudden like <laughs> have a little bit different perspective on them yeah but, you know um and so i, I kind of got away from from a lot of it while I was doing my training yeah. and then it was after I graduated um, that I started through other autism moms getting back into sort of the biomedical autism and the alternative medicine and and starting to really remember what my original goal was yeah mm. yeah and so speaking of alternative medicine you with your practice you have a focus on medicinal marijuana yes so can you talk a little bit because you know coming from a social worker background I've, and I've worked with kids on the spectrum I I really didn't realize that this was a thing that no you could idea. do with children that yeah. you could for for autism specifically. Yeah. I knew it was used for other medical conditions, but I find it really fascinating that this could help kids and adolescents with autism. Can you talk a little bit about why marijuana could be of use to children on the spectrum? Right. And how is it administered to children on the spectrum? Right. So, I mean, marijuana works by regulating your um, endocannabinoid system, which is something science has very little understanding of. They only just figured out the body has an endocannabinoid <laughs> system like 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and, the, I mean, the theory is that it, it helps autism by regulating that because your endocannabinoid system's role is something called homeostasis, which is just balancing. Okay. Pretty much a balancing thing in your body. And um, if you look at people on the autism spectrum just all throughout all the different body systems things are out of balance basically okay um and so once you can get things back in balance and and settle things then um in addition to reducing like anxiety and irritability and rage um you also get to this point where they make developmental gains because you've calmed down everything in their body that's that's not in balance basically Wow. And you were saying before the show, when we were doing a little pre-interview, that you've witnessed or had experiences with kids on the spectrum, you know, teenagers that were not speaking right. uh, and now they speak. So right. you, you've seen actual, real, tangible things change because of this. Oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had multiple patients that became verbal with it. Um, and just, I mean, just a lot of, I, I don't think people understand, just a lot of parents like crying and hugging us wow. and... Yeah completely changing their kids' lives. Like with my own son, I have two sons on the spectrum and they're both on medical marijuana. And um, my older son in particular, um, he was 13 when he started. And ever since he was three, he would have at least one violent meltdown a day, every day, his entire life. Um, We had like a padded room for him basically. So he wouldn't hurt himself. And so he wouldn't hurt his siblings. And, and, you know, it's like, it's, it's like living in a war zone. You just never know what's going to set him off. And he started it. And, um, that was about nine months ago, and he hasn't had a single meltdown since then. Wow. And I don't think people, I don't, pe- people don't grasp what it's like to have mm-hmm. a kid yeah. with that kind of autism. I mean, they have mm-hmm. no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They have mm-hmm. no idea. Um, and, and because of that, you know, because he is not anxious all the time, and he's not having these outbursts, he now, you know, he was already verbal, but he's making development gains that we never thought we'd see in him. Wow. And you attribute that truly to the medicinal Oh, absolutely. No doubt. So when, when we talk about marijuana, when we're talking about it in this way, like how is it given to children? Right. How, how do you do that? I mean, almost all of them, um, they're either taking it by mouth, like mm-hmm. in capsule form, mm-hmm. or there's tinctures that kind of drop or spray in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have one 
one um like teenage um autism patient that sometimes does vape it but Mm -hmm. only one actually yeah and so this is um a leap of like into the unknown for like if you if you're explaining this to people who are used to traditional medicine this seems like really out there like how do you how do you explain to people like you basically just explain to us really it makes a lot of sense it makes it you know to to see these kinds of gains in a child that's you know amazing how do you sort of persuade people that this is a viable option, that this is a treatment that is safe and effective. And I mean, cause this, it sounds like there's, there's a lot so of people who need to be convinced yeah. around the word marijuana. There's so much stigma it's, it's and there's so much, yeah. it's, you know, yeah, yep. it's culturally stigmatized. Yeah. I mean, so do you find yourself having that sort of explainer conversation a lot, like to convince people that yes, it's safe, it's, it's effective, it's useful. We should be having more of these conversations. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, ignorance in that way. And mm. then even among, um, parents of kids that want to try it there's a lot of fear of yeah. the stigma and am I going to get in trouble and what are people going to think yeah. of me because there are so many ignorant people yeah um and even amongst doctors and, yeah. and one of the things yeah. I one of the things I stress when I'm talking is like I really try to paint a picture of the severity mm-hmm. of the symptoms that we're treating because yeah. I mean it, it's not an approved um treatment right now for like mild anxiety or, or mild ADHD or something I mean this is for kids with seizures. This is for kids with debilitating autism for which there just isn't any other treatment. Um, and I try to give them, you know, specific examples and, and paint this picture of the absolute lack of quality of life that these yeah. kids have yeah. that they then get back. And and these are kids who've tried antipsychotics and have tried, you know, everything there is to try. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, the thing is, and, and we'll hear from doctors, well, we don't know what the long-term effects are. But we're giving, um, you know, kids with seizures, kids with autism, we're already giving them medicines that we know yeah. cause long-term harm. Yeah. Right. Right. right, right. That have so, long-term side effects, yeah. And on the other hand, you've got this plant that, you know, quite frankly, has been around for thousands of years and has certainly never killed anyone. Or, yeah. So. Yeah. So what has been to you the most um, frustrating part of being a doctor and a mom who deals with special needs kids who have some serious specific needs. What's been the most frustrating part? Is it, is it acceptance from the medical community? I, I wonder how you, like, cause it seems like you You're navigating a lot yeah, of spaces, a lot of spaces mm-hmm. that are very, I don't want to say hostile, but aren't welcoming to kind of your, your, the, your practice and kind of the, the things that you're doing. So mm-hmm. what's been the most frustrating? Maybe there's, there isn't just one thing. How, how frustrating is it to kind of try to, you know, deal right. with some of the, yeah. Um, it's hard because the, the illnesses themselves that we're dealing with autism and otherwise are terrible. Yeah. Um, but the response of doctors, the response of insurance companies, the response of school districts um, is harder. And, you know, all the special needs parents, we, we go into it kind of assuming that school districts and insurance companies and doctors want what's best for our kids. Yeah. And, and they're up to speed and they're and, up to date. And, and we quickly find out that that is not true. Yeah. Um, and it's that it's this sort of indifferent cruelty that yeah. um, that gets to me the most. I would yeah. say. And you really, I mean, any parent knows that you have to really be an advocate for your kid. You always have to. But I mean, for special needs parents, it it takes like a whole other level of, you know, going back to medical school. <laughs> but like, really, you really have to dig in every single encounter you have with, uh, you know, any kind of, uh, you know entity that's you know yeah. got control over your child in some way that uh, how do you like as a as a parent in that situation what do you do to sort of you know keep from just pulling your hair out because 
I, I just know, you know, she I'm a parent. Well, I know, seriously, <laughs> I would think. Like, as a parent of a, you know, I know on a daily basis, there's always something you have to advocate for your kid, whether it's arguing yeah. for them or, you know. But for special needs parents, I honestly don't know, like, how day in, day out. Not at all. Not at all. all. No. In fact, there's a lot of barriers. There I remember working so in a school barriers. system where it's, yep. it's just punitive. I mean, yeah. you're, if your kid doesn't fall in line, yep. there's, there's, consequences right. whether they have control over yep. that line or not yeah so how do you kind of just for the day in day out stuff how do you sort of stay focused without you know like I said right. without pulling your hair out because honestly I, I don't I honestly I, I'm amazed by the just the tenacity of, of parents with special needs kids yeah and I mean we do we do certify a fair number of um, special needs parents at our practice for medical <laughs> marijuana to yes. be honest with you yeah. and I'm always glad to do that yeah um, but for me personally, I mean, it's hard cause you, like I say, it's a parents all day long. Like you have to take care of yourself because yeah. if you don't, you can't take care of your kid, but yeah. it's, it is really hard. I'm getting better at it. Yeah. Um, just exercising and meditating and all that stuff. Um, but it's hard and it's hard on a marriage. It's hard on a family. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I cry a lot after work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. Get it out. Yeah. But, um, uh, but as time goes on, I mean, you develop, you know, you develop, you you get stronger and, and all that. Yeah. So when you finished medical school and finished your residency and decided to open a clinic that focuses on alternative care in this way. So after you finished um, medical school, what were you hoping when you opened this clinic that the response from your community would be from parents of children with special needs from the community of Verona, you know, being in, in Verona, cause I grew up in Oakmont. Mm-hmm. And so I know Verona very well. And, and I would actually think that Verona would be open to a space like this, but I, I'm curious as to what was the community's response? Um, so it's been a mixed response from the community. Um, we actually just had, had something today. I mean, there's misperceptions about, yeah. practice mm-hmm. um, I mean there's a lot of misperception in general about the medical marijuana program oh, yeah. in yeah. Pennsylvania it's still something people um, are not totally sure what to and so yeah it. you have yeah. some people thinking that like we have marijuana in our office right um, like it's a dispensary <laughs> right right basically. it's a doctor's and, office and, right. and there is a big opiate problem in Verona just like everywhere um, and there's a lot of people that equate opiates with yeah. marijuana and so basically you know they think we're you know contributing to to the opiate problem hmm. Um, but overall, I mean, it's been a positive response. Um, how many patients a day do you think on average you're seeing? Like, are you busy? Um, yeah, we're busy. Um, how many a day? Oh gosh, it varies. It varies. Um, I mean, for medical marijuana, we probably see about, I don't know, a few dozen a month, I would say. And then we also, um, have our addiction patients and then our, um, our pediatric patients that we see. What, what made you want to focus? I know you could have just focused on the medicinal marijuana program, but what made you also want to include opioids and Mm -hmm. and opioid treatment? Why, why did that tug at your heart? Right. Um, the practice originally opened, we were treating, uh, the first thing we treated was opioid addiction. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's kind of what spurred me to finally open the practice. I was working urgent care. And then in December of 2016, um, our neighbor in Verona died of an overdose, Mm -hmm. which none of us even knew that, that he, um, had problems with opiates. Wow. And then that later that month, one of my friends from high school overdosed and died right after, um, getting out of rehab. She was a very, very sweet girl. Um, and so that's actually what we originally, my husband and I started the practice for was, the opiate addiction, mm-hmm. um, based off of those experiences. Wow. Yeah. 
And so how has that been? How has it evolved? I mean, there's so much attention on the mm-hmm. opioid crisis. And, mm-hmm. but I think the day to day reality for a lot of people is it's, it's really hard. It's yeah. really, they're really fighting an uphill battle. And so, so you're, you're dealing with these populations of patients who are really in, in mired in, in some very difficult ongoing yeah. problems. So, so treating, um, opioid, uh, addicted patients, how has that been, you know, how has that evolved? Is that, are we getting better at that or we still have a long way to go? You're smiling as I'm saying that. <laughs> no, I mean, what basically has happened, honestly, is that, um, physicians overprescribed opiates to a r- ridiculous extent for years. Yeah. Um, and then they finally reined them in and now they're taking their patients off of opiates very quickly, abruptly. And there's yeah. just more and more people buying it on the street. And so there's more and more people going to heroin because the pills yeah. cost a lot on the street now. Um, it's just a mess. It's yeah. a mess. And I really... And how is it... I mean, I think the other sort of part of the conversation that I don't see happening as much is there are people who do need this these medications right. for pain management. Right. And it's made it harder for them to get access to medication that they may need because the backlash has been kind of so severe in the other, in the other direction. Do you right. deal with patients who are sort of caught in the middle there? Yes. But, um, I do think that medical marijuana is a significantly better pain yeah. medicine than the opiates. So hopefully yeah. someday we'll get there. But yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like the, the doctors were over prescribing the opiates and then now they're, they're just pulling back across yeah. the board. And, and in either case, they weren't really individually looking at patients. And part of that, is the healthcare system where because of the way things are structured, you're seeing way too many patients a day. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And to some extent doing the best they can. Yeah. But yeah. It, it just is the situation and not very many of them willing to take on treating opiate addiction at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a whole other ball game for a lot of these physicians that they weren't. Right. And, and there's a lot of physician burnout. Yeah. And when you get burnout, you start not liking your patients <laughs> mm-hmm. and you start kind of viewing them as the enemy mm. and instead of this patient being someone who's struggling with opiate addiction, it's like, Oh, this patient's trying to manipulate me and this patient's trying to use me. Uh, and yeah. Just, yeah. And that's not a good situation for anybody. Right. Yeah. So, um, tell us about, there was another condition that you mentioned that, um, you are dealing with that you have patients in, in the, it's called Panda. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit briefly about that. Like this is something that's sort yeah. of doesn't get a lot of attention, but right. it's a really, you know, acute condition. Right. Um, yeah, so PANDAS is a condition where um, it, well, it stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with Streptococcus, which is why we call it PANDAS. Yes, right. If you can um, remember that, you yeah. get to graduate <laughs> medical school. That's the final question. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, and I got into that actually because um, I have four kids and they all have it. Um, it's a condition where a kid gets sick, their immune system attacks their brain, and the brain gets inflamed and they get a lot of debilitating neuropsych issues like um, OCD, anorexia, tics, rage, insomnia, separation anxiety, um, all kinds of really severe symptoms wow. tends to come on pretty suddenly. And it's not well um, it's not well known in the medical community, so the kids tend to get misdiagnosed yeah. um, and not get the help that they need. And so it's brought on by a staph infection, is that correct? Um, so the... The original research was done into strep infection, like strep throat, uh-huh. but we now know that any kind of infection can trigger it. And sometimes it's even triggered by an allergen or mold or chemicals or things like that. Any kind of assault on the immune system we know now yeah. can cause it. And so what is the treatment for that? That sounds, I mean, that sounds kind that of terrifying because kids yeah. get infections all the My time. God. It could, you know. Right. 
Um, I mean, I'm an integrative doctor, so I mean, yeah. the initial care um, generally is antibiotics mm-hmm. and um, anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen actually yeah. make a huge difference. Um, I also do other things. I do um, like supplements and IV vitamins and um, CBD and, and a lot of different things. Um, but in the kids that are more severe, they end up getting this IV treatment called IVIG. Mm. It's this infusion where they infuse um, other people's immune cells basically into your wow. body. Wow. Is this a chronic condition or does this go away over time or? Um, it's chronic. You wow. know, if we get to it and we treat it, then a lot of them by the time they're adults will kind of outgrow it, if you okay. will. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. Yeah. But even once um, it gets diagnosed and treated, which a lot of time takes years, um, they have flares. Like it's not an immune condition, so they have right. flares. Yeah. yeah. So when you look at the big picture of everything that you've accomplished, where do you see your practice going and how do you see it impacting you know, the kids that you're working with now, and then obviously the adults in the future as well. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I really feel like the, the common thread in our practice amongst the, the different populations that we see is that it's um, people who've had, they've had serious illness, and then on top of that, they've had really negative experiences in the medical mm-hmm. community. Um, and in a lot of respects, um, like I had this attending in residency, and And he said, some days you're a doctor and some days you're a social worker and some days you're a priest. And Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like we spend a lot of time on sort of the therapist priest end of things because there's a certain healing they get Mm -hmm. just from having like a validating experience with us. And it's not just me. It's also my nurse and it's also Sam, honestly. (laughs) Um, Someone to listen to them and and actually be listening to them and hearing them. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, so that's sort of our over our overarching, I think, um, mission and our value, no matter sort of what the specifics are over time. That's really amazing. I'm well, sitting here like, man, I know like we're not yeah. doing anything with our lives. What the hell? Like, Slack or Jesus. what am I doing? I know <laughs> it's fine. We'll let her do all the heavy yes. lifting. She's doing a really good job at it. So as, as <laughs> sort of lay people or slackers as we are, <laughs> what, what is, what are some ways people can get better informed about these kinds of issues, illnesses mm. that affect children that, you know, but you've never heard of one of them. How do you, how can you be better informed, A, and B, advocate for your kids in a way that is going to get you results? Like, what is it? Is there a strategy that you used that was like... She went to medical school. Well, Karen. besides going to medical school, <laughs> like being a better advocate for you, I'm always like sort of struggling with it. Like, where's the line between being really obnoxious and being really pushy, which I'm okay with. You know, for some parents, they're not comfortable in that. So, so what's the is there a way that you think she's smiling at me? Cause she has an answer ready <laughs> of being an advocate for your kid. Like, like what's the strategy that you would recommend people if they're really feeling frustrated besides going to medical school? Like how do you advocate for your kid in a meaningful, effective way? Yeah. And I mean, and I mean, I think women in particular, like want to be a lot of times want to be nice and, mm, right. and, and want to be liked and, and don't want to be, you know, making waves. But yeah, I mean, honestly, you have to be, obnoxious yeah mm-hmm. I don't there's no other way around yeah you, squeaky you, wheel yeah you well, really yeah. you really have to go into every interaction with every doctor and every school meeting and everything else with your baseline assumption being that they don't have their best interest at mind and then if that person proves themselves to you mm. yeah okay Back down and, from and, and yeah. I get a lot of that I get a lot of parents coming in and I have to prove myself to them yeah. and I'm fine with that and yeah. I do yeah um but you can't be I mean you can't you can't be naive and you can't be nice and 
you have to you have to get to that point yes oh my god <laughs> See, i feel so totally validated, validated right now <laughs> like, but, I, but i'm okay with being like one of my greatest accomplishments is a little bit of a side note but as a daughter <laughs> was when my dad was ill one time mm-hmm. and i was in the doctor's office and i was really i was just obnoxious like i was not having it and then later on i found out that there was a note about me in his chart like <laughs> oh doctor my god, that's a, a daughter very assertive <laughs> or yeah, something they have like a like, photo of you with like a little i should get bullseye. this framed <laughs> and like put up somewhere because like you know my dad is of that generation or he was of that generation where you know the doctor tells you something and you right. do and it you just right do it, and yeah. so he, i was very much like look i'm the customer here you work for me and that was like a whole mindset he was he was like oh don't say that i'm like i don't care we're paying money for this we're gonna get what we're paying for see i'm so like i know you know i was not having it you and so and so I feel really validated now that someone who has been through way worse is like, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Be obnoxious. At least you're in obnoxiousness. Do it. Yeah. I guess, I guess my final question for you kind of goes full circle back towards the beginning when we were talking about autism in general and how you were saying it's relating more to gut health than we realize. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever get concerned or irritated, you know, cause a lot of people do do a lot of Googling and they don't follow Mm -hmm. it up with medical school or actual research. Mm -hmm. Do you get a lot of parents that come in and say vaccines gave my son or, or, or my daughter autism, or it was this one thing, or do you have to do a lot of Mm re-education or do you um, find that it doesn't even really matter the reason why it's just that they're there now. So let's just focus on the problem at hand. And do you think that there is a higher prevalence of autism or do you think it's just being diagnosed because we know what it is now at a higher rate? Okay. Um, I'll go kind of backwards. Yes, the rate of autism is increasing. Okay. Um, and if you talk, I mean, if you talk to boots on the ground, if you talk to the speech therapists and the pediatricians, people have been doing this, you know, 30, 40 years. Yeah, it's increasing. Okay. And we also know that the rates of childhood autoimmune disorders are increasing type one Mm. diabetes, juvenile rheumatoid Mm. arthritis. Um, the rates of a lot of things are going up and you know, it's because of environmental factors because obviously, um, genetic disorders aren't going to rise in prevalence um so yes a lot of the things we're doing are making our kids sick um you know in terms of if I have a parent um I mean I do have kids in my practice who are vaccine injured I mean vaccine injury does happen um I mean when you have a kid with autism with chronic medical problems you have to I mean you have to make some kind of sense of it and you have to have a certain narrative in your mind of what you think happened or you'll go crazy Yeah. Um, yeah and that's not something that it's for me to right. to disrupt. Um, it it doesn't really affect treatment at all. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really challenge whatever their thoughts are on that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I always feel like every time we're here with yeah. the guest, I'm like, wow, I've just learned so much. My right. brain is going to explode. I right. feel so happy and full. Yes. And this was such an amazing conversation. We really appreciate you taking out time out of your incredibly busy life <laughs> goodness, and I schedule know. to come here and be with us. But I really think our viewers are going to find this, or excuse me, I think our listeners are going to find this really interesting yeah. um, and really informative because I do think you are a pioneer on the frontier oh, of the future of medicine. And yeah. so... We're really honored to have you here. And, and just thank even you for the validation of like uh, how you advocate for your child. Yeah. You know, like, like don't Absolutely. be shy. It's Absolutely. really, it's hard sometimes, but thanks so much for coming yeah, on. This has been so, so fantastic conversation. You'll have to come back. Yeah. I would love that. Awesome. Great. <laughs> the broadcast podcast is proud to be a member of the Sorgatron Media Family. 